The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to find food truth and connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. And today, it's an absolute honor to have with us Dr. Frederick von Saal, who is a professor of biological sciences at the University of Missouri in Columbia. Fred is an international expert on endocrine disruptors with specific expertise on bisphenol A. You may have seen his name associated with a canned tomato blurb in Prevention Magazine, which got a lot of public outcry. What on earth are we feeding our families? Fred, welcome. Uh, Pleasure to be here, Melinda. Fred, I started to download your resume from the University of Missouri You've written hundreds of papers on this topic. You've been working on this for decades. And I wonder, first of all, let's go back and and explain to our listeners, what are the problems with plastics, and in particular, bisphenol A or BPA? What we have found out over the last couple of decades is plastics contain chemicals that were put into these products these plastic products decades ago without realizing that they could act like sex hormones or they could block sex hormones. And the problem is that these chemicals, and bisphenol A is one, another class of chemicals called phthalates that are used in polyvinyl chloride and in polyethylene products such as your little water bottle that you may be using to drink water out of and then dispose of, and then another class of chemicals in plastic called flame retardants. These three different types of chemicals that are present in plastics all disrupt the endocrine system, and the endocrine system is a series of signaling molecules in the body that coordinate all of the functions of the body, essentially. And if you disrupt this coordinating system, that's what leads to diseases and various kinds of developmental abnormalities. These hormonal systems are critical for normal development from the brain to the digestive system, the cardiovascular system, the reproductive system, the immune system. They all require proper functioning of hormones, and these chemicals profoundly disrupt the coordinating systems. Now, are all plastics a problem? You know, I I know that there are some that have been identified as being worse than others, but if I recall from an interview we did several years ago, Even the polyethylene plastic water bottles, even the one and the two, the high-density polyethylene bottles, those because those contain the flame retardants, they're not innocent bystanders either. Yes, and now we've found out that the number one, the typical disposable water bottle called PET, P-E-T, polyethylene terphthalate, contains these phthalate chemicals that are associated with demasculinizing 
males. And for instance, uh, women exposed to these phthalate chemicals who are pregnant, the higher the level of the phthalates in their bodies, the more abnormal the reproductive organs are in their male offspring. And those are human studies. <laughs> There's an extensive set of animal studies on that, but that's uh, information from a human epidemiological study. So there really are no smart or better plastics out on the market. It sounds like we should be avoiding all of them. Well, so people use plastic because it's very convenient. And if you have to use a plastic product, the number two ethylene container, number two, which is made of polyethylene, and the number five container, which is made of polypropylene, would be the best to use, and I actually use them to freeze things in. Hmm. What I never do is put anything very hot into them. I never heat them in any way. I don't even wash them in the dishwasher. So one of the things to think about is the movement of molecules is dependent on temperature. And in a freezer or in a refrigerator, you're not going to have a lot of molecular motion. But if you stick that any kind of plastic material that is put under heat is going to be releasing chemicals in all likelihood that you do not want in your body, and particularly you do not want in your child's body. And let's talk, too, about pH, because at least with the canned tomato story, you had mentioned the whole idea of where you've got an acidic compound next to the BPA. You could expect more leaching as well as fat versus water, where there's more likelihood to have the compound present in a fatty substance because it's fat-soluble. Well, so this is where you come to the point where not all plastics are equally potentially harmful. Bisphenol A-based plastic called polycarbonate, which is what your eyeglasses may be made of, CDs, baby bottles, what Nalgene used to make its bottle out of, and the lining of thermal or what is called carbonless paper that's used for receipts is this free bisphenol A. I mean, this stuff is everywhere. Yes. And when it's linked together into chains, and that's what a polymer is, it's just, think of BPA molecules as just links in a chain, and the links are very acid sensitive. So polycarbonate happens to be about the worst type of plastic you could imagine putting something acidic into because anybody who studied undergraduate level organic chemistry knows that this ester bond that links these molecules together dissolves, breaks under acid conditions and that's exacerbated by heating. Mm -hmm. There are other kinds of plastics, one being polyether sulfone that is linked with a bond that is not sensitive to the acidity and is also much more stable under heat. So there are baby bottles out there on the market made of this PES plastic, and that is a type of plastic that is inherently more stable than polycarbonate so that if you were going to use a plastic product, 
that would be far more preferable than using something made of polycarbonate. So would this be labeled, Fred? No. They're all, unfortunately, you have various categories, number one, two, and four being ethylene-based plastic, three polyvinyl chloride, five polypropylene, six polystyrene, and then seven is everything else. Mm-hmm. So if you see a number seven and it says BPA-free, it's likely made from a material that is not unstable the way polycarbonate is and is going to be significantly safer than polycarbonate would be. But it doesn't mean that the chemical, other chemicals like potentially flame retardants or other additives could be in there that could potentially cause problems. But at least you won't be getting what we know is one of the absolute worst chemicals to be exposed to, and that's this chemical, EPA, bisphenol A. You know, it's interesting. We as dietitians, of course, recommend that people eat fish because of the beneficial fatty acids. And then I'm looking at this report that says, you know, if you're buying tuna or if you're buying salmon, you think of all of those great healthy fatty acids in there, and yet that fish flesh and the fat is sitting in a can that is exposed to these migratory compounds that are leaching out of the can lining. Gosh, what's a consumer to do? Well, actually, they're beginning to sell tuna fish in packets that are, are not in as opposed to cans. Yes. And I think what we're going to see is a shift away from the kind of packaging material that has been in use for decades in the United States. And one of the reasons that I know that's going to happen is the Japanese very quietly did this in the 1990s. All right? So over 10 years ago, the Japanese, for instance, changed their can lining so that it is not the surface lining of cans made in Japan is not made of bisphenol A. Hmm. So recently in California, the Metal Packaging Association, the trade organization for cans, can manufacturers claimed that life on earth as we know it would end if we tried to take BPA out of cans. Well, life in Japan didn't end when they did it. And the the cost was no more. And the can companies over there just very quietly changed the lining. And there was a significant drop in the levels of BPA detected in people as a result of that, which is not surprising. Yeah. Well, I remember you gave a talk several years ago at the AAAS, the Science Writers Convention out in San Francisco, and you had spoken about the link between some of these endocrine-disrupting compounds in plastics and obesity. And yesterday when we spoke, we touched on a couple of topics about how we're seeing these staggering increases in autism rates, in food allergies, in ADHD, let alone obesity, which has been going on for decades. And I wonder, you know, how much we can link or associate some of the changes we've seen in public health to these compounds that have slowly infiltrated our food system. Well, one of the astonishing things about bisphenol A, and and it certainly is an astonishment to scientists who study it, is that virtually every major public health trend 
such as obesity, increase in breast cancer, allergies, ADHD, autism, all of these things that are going on in the human population that are increasing in frequency and there are always are arguments about better detection, but at least in a substantial part of the scientific community, there is a, a real consensus developing that you can't account for these increases just based on detection. Because if you're my age, and I'm in my 60s, I don't remember as a child a classroom full of kids who were hyperactive. You're so right. right. So any teacher will tell you, if you think that ADHD is just a matter of detection, come to my classroom and you'll change your mind. So what is interesting is that bisphenol A in experimental studies at levels administered to animals that create a body burden of this chemical that is lower than the, what is found in the typical person, it actually causes hyperactivity in animals and it causes learning disability when exposure occurs during fetal and infant life. So all you have to have is exposure during these what are called critical periods and you end up with a permanently brain damaged individual. And you also end up with individuals that show abnormal play behavior and uh, abnormal aggression. And that last part was also recently reported in children associated with their mother's levels of bisphenol A. So what we're beginning to see is links between a very solid experimental animal literature and when people go look for the same thing in human studies, they find it. And that also goes for obesity and diabetes and cardiovascular disease where bisphenol A is linked to all of them in people and is obesity is caused by bisphenol A in animals. We published that back 10 years ago, and that's been confirmed over and over again, including major studies going on in our lab here at Missouri. And it's related to abnormal cardiovascular function, and it actually leads to insulin-dependent diabetes in animals and in humans. Wow. So where is the outrage? Where is the public outrage? We have decades of really great data showing that these compounds are harmful, and yet what has changed? Well, a very important shift occurred a few years ago. Up until that time, the media in the United States we're basically treating the public relations people at the American Chemistry Council and American Plastics Council, the trade organization for the plastic and chemical industry, as equally weighted to people who were making scientific discoveries. 
So what would happen is an article would come out and say, this phenol A has been found to cause type 2 diabetes. And then they would interview somebody from the American Chemistry Council who would blatantly misstate the facts and say, oh, well, these doses are millions of times higher than anybody could be exposed to. Total lie. But there's no sanction of a public relations person for the chemical industry for telling a blatant lie. So these tit-for-tat type things were going on repeatedly. And then a couple of years ago, that changed with a number of government reports and the Canadian government also determining that this phenol A should be removed from infant products and the National Institutes of Health issued uh, a couple of reports saying they were concerned about the health effects of this chemical. And all of a sudden, the press coverage changed. So the public perception of a problem changed. But we have a huge problem with our media in the United States because people who write these stories generally are looking for conflict and controversy, right? not for accuracy. Well, if you're just joining us, we are having a fascinating conversation with Dr. Fred Van Saul, who is a professor of biological sciences at the University of Missouri in Columbia and an international expert on endocrine disruptors, bisphenol A, and phthalates. Fred, I have to ask you, I think that these stories that you're telling based on very credible and solid research, decades worth, really demand a public policy shift. And we talked a little bit before we went on air about some of the pending bills and the absolute need for public outcry and public support for this legislation. Do you want to talk a little bit about what's been going on in Washington? I know you just got back from an NIH meeting there, too. Yes. Well, the most important thing, I think, is that we happen to have, with this one chemical, bisphenol A, a single chemical out of over 50,000 in commerce, and there are something like 100,000 registered chemicals, that independent scientists have gotten interested in and really studied. And even with all of the hundreds of peer-reviewed published studies that have been done, our FDA and our EPA have been completely unwilling to engage in any kind of regulation. And one of the reasons is that the, uh, a bill called TSCA, the Toxic Substance Release Act, TSCA, that provides information about the release of toxic chemicals into the environment and also it was supposed to give regulatory agencies authority to ban chemicals when they were shown to be harmful, that bill totally failed. EPA could not ban asbestos based on the authority it had from that legislation. That bill is up for, uh, it is being rewritten now in Congress. The question is, is it going to end up as bad as the last version or is it actually going to be protective so that we don't have to try to deal with chemicals one at a time? One of the things that 
we need to have changed in the United States is that prior to using a chemical in a product, it really needs to be tested for health effects. This is now the law in Europe under a new set of legislative initiatives that took place in Europe last year, and we're going to try to get these kinds of laws passed in the United States. What most people don't understand is that all of the chemicals that are put into your products are put in there with no requirement to be tested, and yet you are told they're completely safe because they are deemed safe until they're shown to cause harm. This is what has led to the use of all of these endocrine-disrupting chemicals, and there are hundreds of them in household products, and yet the public is still being told in the face of huge amount of scientific evidence these chemicals are completely safe. We need legislation that actually stops this kind of craziness where you have to show that you're profoundly harmed before a chemical can be taken off the market. So is this the House Bill 1490 that we should be addressing at the present time? Well, there is associated with the reauthorization of TSCA, that legislation, there is a second bill that has been submitted by Congressman Moran, uh, that is House Bill 1490, that actually mandates that a new set of testing systems be put in place by the National Institutes of Health and that in order to know whether chemicals have the capability of causing this kind of harm that we're talking about, we need a new set of screens and tests. Congress demanded that the EPA come up with this by 2000. They mandated this back in 1996, and the EPA has totally failed at being able to do that. And so the Moran bill shifts that responsibility over to the United States research agency that funds biomedical research, and that's the National Institutes of Health. And that's a critical component of having the ability to know whether chemicals are safe or not, is having appropriate tests and qualified people conducting those tests. There's also a Senate Bill 753, the BPA Free Kids Act of 2009, which would prohibit the manufacture, sale, or distribution in commerce of children's food and beverage containers composed of bisphenol A. So it looks like that is another one that needs to have public support. Would you agree? Well, yes, and that is an indictment of our regulatory system. When Congress has to go regulate an individual chemical because the regulatory system, the Food and Drug Administration, is incapable of making a regulatory decision and Congress has to pass legislation banning a specific chemical, that's crazy. But we are at that point because of the lack of authority 
that our regulatory agencies actually desperately need but don't have. And so unless we get bills like the one you just mentioned passed, we're not going to see any kind of restriction on BPA and the way it's being used, particularly in our food packaging. Yeah. Um, Fred, let me ask you something. We only have a minute or two left, and I wonder if you would um, be willing to leave our listeners with any final words. Yeah, actually, the important point here is we've only talked about a couple of chemicals, and what we're now finding is that typical household products contain literally hundreds of chemicals that are being found in people's bodies by the Centers for Disease Control in their annual survey, the health status of Americans. And there's no way for people to find out currently what products contain dangerous chemicals and what all those chemicals are. And unless you can get your legislator from your state or your local legislators, even in the state House and Senate, as well as uh, U.S. Congress, then um, we're not going to be able to move beyond the blindness that we are stuck with right now with regard to knowledge that we all want to have regarding what are the chemicals in the products we're using and have they been tested for safety, and are they really safe? Right now, uh, we can't say that any product that we're using is truly safe. I, I would love to have you come back and talk more because there are so many topics that we didn't have a chance to cover today. These compounds getting into our water system, you know, making a change, and your wonderful research showing just how small a dose can have a physiological impact, which, of course, disputed our previous understanding of toxicology. Um, Fred, thank you again so much for your time. I want to thank our listeners for being with us as well and to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Fred, thank you again for being with us and for your wonderful research. Oh, it's a pleasure, Melinda.